0: This is a Sunday talk by Matt Saradsky, entitled, Compassion, Courage to Cross the Abyss, recorded April 22nd, 2013, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. Compassion, Courage to Cross the Abyss. The Abyss. The chasm that separates us from eternity, from our true nature, from the ground of being. Without love for the apparent other, we will never strike out, we will never begin the path. The path out of ourselves, out of our manufactured security, out of our minds out of the known. So in the Buddhist tradition, in the Mahayana tradition, they have a term called bodhicitta. And bodhicitta is known to be the foundation of all pure qualities, of all good qualities. And it's the mind that aspires to realization for the benefit of all beings, that puts all beings' freedom and suffering as the paramount concern, and this is, in the Mahayana tradition, this is recognized to be the um, basis for enlightenment. It's the enlightened mind, and when it's perfectly realized, it is identical with enlightenment. So, Bodhicitta is also known in the Dzogchen tradition as identical with Rigpa, which is the natural state, or the primordial mind. Essentially, it's the desire for the liberation, the freedom of all beings. So this sets the stage. This begins the process of approach to the abyss. The abyss is terrifying. It is death. It's the annihilation of all that is known to thought. Nothing you can think is true in the realm beyond the abyss. Nothing you can think is true in that realm. So we cannot help but to approach it cautiously, timidly. In fact, most often we approach it sideways, or even backwards, as Joel describes his path. but approach we do as soon as our hearts are kindled by the fire of the supreme light. We get a glimpse, we get a glimmer, and we see something we never dared hope to see. We see the possibility, if only for an instant, of freedom, of bliss. And this could be called the awakening of faith. Um, the, often the beginning of the path, and sometimes it's just an intuition, and sometimes it's a full-on, you know, experience of self-transcendent glory, or you know, could be a lot of different ways. <clears throat> but no matter what, if it's just a glimpse, we will mistake it. We'll mistake the glimpse. We will, we will file it and filter it as something alien, as something beyond. For alien and beyond it is to the mind, which is the creator of all separation. So we see we we have this intuition that we know we're going towards something greater, <clears throat> something truer, but we can't help but feel that it is something else, and, and 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 there we're stuck, you know, because that's the that's the whole story of suffering is that we're 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 looking for something else to be happy. We're, you know, the, the better car, the better bigger house, the better job, or even just you know the better television program. <laughs> bored of this one, you know, the second season it just sort of dwindled out. You know, they just. You know, the personalities, the characters haven't developed, whatever it is. And so, on the path, we'll we'll have this intuition of of our true nature, of bliss, of freedom, and then we'll the mind will come in, and we will become confused about how was it that I experienced that? Where was that? What is that? And we'll come up with all these stories around. This. But we get this glimpse, and we do approach, we do begin the path, however slowly. And this approach takes courage, This and this courage is love, basically. It's compassion. Gadatta Maharaj said, The mind creates the abyss, and the heart crosses it. for we if we don't ache in our hearts for the sorrow of the world which is our own sorrow we will never be driven out of our shell to this place of severe discomfort on the edge of the, the abyss this place of deadly peril we're drawn by the light and the light that we can feel beyond the veil of mental distinction is felt in our hearts as love. Love for the beloved, which can manifest in so many different ways. And so we all share this. This is the this is the human condition. We we have love for our loved ones, for our our wife, our husband, our children, our sangha, our animal companions love for humanity, love for all creatures. And this love kindles our heart. It makes us brave. It expands in our chest and drives us onwards and outwards. But this love, in truth, it comes from beyond all forms, beyond all distinctions. We'll find that as we proceed on the path, the love that we felt for our specific people in our life, the mind will come in and will create a form and that love will become, in some sense, limited by that form. We become trapped to our attachments to even the most dearest people in our life can become an obstacle if we are attached to the fear of losing them. Because really, the pure beloved is beyond all form. It comes from beyond the abyss. The the true nature that we're seeking is beyond any of these distinctions. And that means the distinctions between me and you, between you and your wife or husband, all of these distinctions. So once we begin this approach and we get a glimpse then we'll we'll get another glimpse a different kind of glimpse and this is a glimpse not of the blissful light but of the terrifying dark of the dreaded abyss that of this pure nothingness or this seeming pure nothingness and it crashes down upon our hearts and and it's drawn by the instinct for self-preservation in fact it's identical with that instinct this this reflexive instinct. And we, we seek retreat. We seek to escape. We seek to return to our isolation, to our failed sense of security. And for a while this may work. We may stave off the approach of our own demise, of our own courageous self-sacrifice. As Meister Eckhart said, there is no greater valor, no nor no sterner fight than that for self effacement, self oblivion. However, once we have begun, once courage through compassion has broken our shell, there's no repairing it. Our ego is cracked. We are mortally wounded. And as Rumi says The wound is the place where the light enters you. And the light calls us forth toward the unknown. For every moment of retreat exposes us to the tyranny of our mind and the suffering of separate existence. So we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Moving forward is terrifying. Backward is is back into suffering, back into... Separation. So there's no other way. We must press onward. And to speak of how the path ends is is a mystery. It's, it's possible to ex- express it exactly. But <clears throat> the dive into the abyss is essentially what happens. And it takes many forms, as many forms as there are people, really. But in essence, all paths are the same. We must recognize that all along our very reason for being a separate self, our very the mechanism of being a separate self, you could say, has been avoiding the abyss. And this very avoidance was the veiling of our heart from true joy, from the beloved. The movement forward out of separation begun by compassion for the other is revealed to be driven all along by love for the self, the big self, your true self. Not the egoic mental self, but the true self that's in the heart of all beings. Sri Muruganar says, Bondage is the false, ruinous thought that one exists apart from being, the one true being since one can never, never stand in alienation, destroy as soon as it arises the thought of separateness. This true self is covered over by thought, which creates distinctions and makes us take the abyss, ourselves, our journey to it, and the courage that propels us to seem real, to seem like a real event and an experience in time truth, however, the veiling of the true self and the flight into the abyss which marks its unveiling take no time at all. They occur in the space of the hair's breadth of eternity. Nor does it take any effort, though one's entire being must be exhausted in the discovery of this truth. For in the light of union with the supreme self, your true self, There is not one iota of distinction of time, space, or beings. All is transcended in this holy union. So strive onward, dear soul, and have courage. Love and press forward to the edge of the unknown. Have faith your true self is calling, and eternal life as the light of being awaits. And moreover, this light is already and always here right now. So, it was a short talk. More of like a little sermon.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, we have some time for questions and answers before we have to get on to the business, the business side of... The, enlightenment. Of enlightenment. Producing your enlightenment it costs money. What
1: happened to compassion?
0: Well, what happened to compassion? So, I've been hearing people say that exact same thing. And so that's why I thought, well, I'll give a talk on compassion. So compassion, like I said in here, it's what is this movement outward, away from the self. And it's just that at the when you finally reach all the way out, there's no self and no other. So compassion is the natural responsiveness then. I mean, obviously, if, if you know, somebody is hurting or somebody is suffering, you'll feel that. But in the beginning, which is this sense of, oh, I love this object... That's it that's what that is is that's the true light the true love being limited by the mind the mind which is saying over here is me and over there is that and I love this when in fact your real experience is just when you're experiencing love it's just being dissolved it's being opened right and so that opening that movement is the is what propels us it's what gives us the courage the the incentive, the, and that's why bodhicitta is the foundation, because you need to have that pure compassion. It's what takes you all the way through. Yeah. Pat?
2: Well, it, it seems certainly in the recent event of the Boston Marathon that many, many selves were forgotten in that action and afterwards in the sympathy in and in the outpouring. Why does it take something like that to have us behave that way? Why is there always some emergency or some dire... I mean, you see it, and I certainly um, am still full of it, with uh, full of the goodness, that is, of the marathon and the actions that I watched over the last week. Um, why is it always that way, though? You know, if the ordinary events of life don't bring out anything... More than
0: just ordinary. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, I would say that that that's a good point, that a lot of people don't experience the suffering of the world on a day-to-day basis. But I would suggest that if you find it beneficial to your practice to be aware of suffering of others, that you take that on. And, and that's, you know, there's the sending and taking practice where you can actually take other beings... Suffering, and you can breathe it into your own heart and then breathe out love and compassion, and it starts to get you in touch with this, this truth that the sorrow of the world is actually the, the foundation for awakening. It, we need to become aware of suffering, and primarily we need to become aware of our own suffering, but one way that that, that, that happens is that we become aware of the, the endlessness of suffering under delusion. Which is, it's, it's all beings, right? So there's no there's no distinction really between my suffering and your suffering. It's suffering, you know, and that's true. You know, if, if for the same somebody who was injured or killed at the Boston, or the loved ones of the people who were killed the Boston, and the people in Syria who are getting bombed every day, which isn't on the news, right? So. Is, I think is very valuable to become aware of suffering. Why is it that people aren't? Well, I think because it's scary. It's scary to, to, well, to it is be scary thinking... It's
2: scary to have a situation that happened like that. And that's really scary. Okay,
0: well, wait wait, wait a minute. We're all going to die. Aren't you scared? Yeah. We will. <laughs> you see? So the, the thing is, until you're really in touch with your own mortality right and what happens is we oh okay well yeah that will happen at some point but you know right now I'm just going to live my life right because this is you know and so we entrain ourselves in this sort of hypnotic trance of yes I'm identifying with this separate being and I you know but the reality is if that's what you actually believe you're suppressing a whole lot of stuff and often it takes things like tragedies and so forth to bring out some of that fear to bring out some of that horror. Should we all be daredevils Be spiritual daredevils. Yes. <laughs> yes. Go forward and see what what see what it is that you're that you're truly afraid of.
3: this quite uh, the events of the last week were very catalytic for me at least at, uh, in terms of compassion and I, I felt of course I felt compassion for the victims and Then I thought wait a minute now what about the perpetrators you know, uh, what caused that what what uh, mechanism in their background or their minds caused that, <laughs> sure that and I realized that I I have to have a little compassion for them. If I if I demonize them, then I am denying my own potential for evil. I guess that uh, there's a seed of that inside me. I've noticed, you know, over the years, you know, and I, I can think nasty. If I, um, but as a result of that, I feel like I would. It's not not I have compassion for these people. It's, I am in compassion for these people or I it's not I right I I am partaking I am part of that energy um, you know I sort of went away as soon as I became conscious about it even though it didn't make sense Uh, but that that's kind of how that effect it had on me
0: right yeah I I think that's very true it's Again, the mind is creating the separation in events and people and stuff, but your, your actual experience of compassion is just an opening and an identification. It means, co- you know, to suffer with is what compassion means. And uh, ultimately, what, what the truth is, is that there isn't an ultimate separation there. Just, this is arising in your awareness. This is your, you know, this whole world is, is, is you. Yes.
1: Um, I don't know how you might want to comment on it, but they talk about delusion. Um, Someone I know um, was in the same high school as the older brother and lived, like, in the same square mile. And and a lot of his friends were like, you know, don't even know how to think because they were living sort of this delusion. They thought they knew them and they didn't. And now everything's like topsy-turvy. And, I don't
4: know, I just was thinking about the word delusion and how it
0: was sort of going along. With this, I know this guy and then come wow. mm-hmm. out. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, we use the term delusion as a te- sort of a technical, spiritual term to mean the ident- identification as a separate individual self. But, um, so, you know, any time that you find out that you've been fooled, that's similar, you know, except that in this case, this is, a, oh my gosh, I've been fooled all along, this is horrible, and the kind of truth we're talking about here is, oh my gosh, we've been fooled all along, it's actually wonderful. Yeah. So it's a little different, but...
1: Hopefully they can, you know, from this event, you know, from being kind of in the center of it in a different way than we are. Yeah. There's some possibilities for, you know, Obviously, for them to say, look at their lives and see
0: what they have. Life is life is all all full of possibility for for yeah. spiritual growth. I mean, that's yeah, every everything. Christy.
5: So I was just to piggyback on what he was saying. Um, when I was thinking about um, the brothers. Um, because maybe, you know, to me, maybe their, this is just my opinion, maybe their friends weren't fooled. You know, maybe they did know them at a certain stage in their life, especially the older ones. And then something happened, and then he changed, and, and yeah, he wasn't the same person anymore. But, but, yeah, I mean, it's like, to me, it looks like, well, maybe at one point he was in touch with love, and, um, and and then there was a lack of love. And so I don't really look at it as evil, but I look at it more as you know having love and then or not having love. And I mean because at one point he must have had some love because these friends knew something good in him and then he got <clears throat> influenced into something else and and it was not so loving or
0: compassionate. People do horrible things with good intentions, yeah. you know. And so I, I don't know much about the story, you know, or the the story that's being told us, or whatever. But um, you know, I think that that's true. People will do, you know, commit horrible actions thinking that they're doing it. For good, you know, and, you know, if your intention is good, then in some sense, um, you know, it's part of your path, you know, it's part of your, I mean, even if your intention is bad, it's part of your path, but, and you can't really know what somebody's intention was, is, I mean, Mm -hmm. what you can find out though is about how this works in your own in your own being, you know, when you do something that's negative and then how does it feel? And how you know, and how do you you know, how do you align yourself with your own highest uh, you know, your own highest aspirations and act that way all the time and you know, and then to see how conditioning comes in and makes you do negative habitual activity and so we're all our own laboratory this way. And and then we, we start to see this is a universal my suffering is universal, you know. And yeah, it's true. Sometimes people do horrible things. Sometimes they do it knowingly, or that they're completely closed off, like somebody who's a sociopath, you know. And we know clinical psychologists say that they're incapable of feeling empathy or compassion and things like that. Um, but most people who do horrible things are in the military. Yeah. I mean, frankly, or or running the military. So, yes, sir.
6: I have a little, sort of different take, but some similar to what you said. Uh, what I see compassion is almost seeing that that those two boys, those two men, actually that potential is in everyone, and I, I see people, you know, saying. It's evil, or they're evil, or there's some evil, and they don't see it in themselves. They project it on other people. And the thing is, is that if you know, if you really look at yourself, you will see that it's in you as well. It's just the circumstances, and when you're unconscious of it, it's more possible it could happen. If you're aware that it's there, you have you, you have more of a choice. You, you know. But what what happens is I see so many people, and they everything is see the. Good guys and bad guys. Sure. And uh, as long as you're in that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the same old dance.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah. And, you know, Jung called it the shadow. And, you know, we, we have this aspect of our um, psychological makeup that we don't want to look at. You know, it's just the shadow. It's, it's behind us. And then if, you know, the more of that you have, and the stronger that material is, the stronger the projection will be. And uh, yeah, that's that's very true. So, like I said, you know, it's, it's, the world is all rising in our consciousness, and so if you see something that seems alien, you know, this whole idea of something coming from the unknown, from the you know, actually, the un, the more unknown it is, the more it's what's always here, because what the mind can know is is only distinctions and separation. What we truly are is unknowable. It's um, pure consciousness, you could say, which has infinite possibility. And so if something comes up and it seems apart from you, it's because you haven't yet recognized how that is part of you. So.
3: You know, speaking about the bombing, you know, when I first heard about that, there was a deep sadness to people that were injured. And this horrendous thing happened. But also the... the the two guys that did it, knowing that they were really hurting and that they were really, uh, you know, very unhappy, and, you know, and there's sort of just compassion for them too.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like this is the theme, huh? Um, I would say... W- A good practice for all of us to do, anyone who's inclined, would be to, you know, uh, next time you do your sitting practice or whatever, just do a little sitting taking for these bombers and for the families of the victims, or you know, however however it seems to feel right for you, and and see what that, see what that feels like. What does that feel like? And 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 um, not so much what makes you think about, but how does it feel in your heart? How does it feel in your Uh, awareness, what does it do? So if we breathe in the suffering of, of these suffering individuals and we breathe out love and compassion to them, want to dissolve the barriers because it's the barriers that create the the suffering that create the potential for evil you know and the barriers you know if we can dissolve our barriers you know that there is no separation that you know that is in some sense that is the reconciliation even though it's on the other side of the country that's the reconciliation for us and for The world. I think, uh, Paula, you were first.
1: Um, Something I love to review is uh, In the Prophet by Kehil Gabran on crime and punishment. Mm. And how it all dances as one, and everything serves the whole. Mm. And I think it would be very interesting to just, when somebody falls down in our society, say, How we, how did we fail them? Right. You know, it's just such a different movement. And this person has already been convicted, he's the kind of talking, right. and he's
0: criminal. Right. Well. What? Yeah.
1: Did we fail?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would be an enlightened society's response, and I don't think we're going to see that. But I think in our own community here, we can we can you know try to take that on as a practice. Yeah. Yeah. Pat. Well,
2: I was just going to belabor this, but one um, of. Um and the jihadists that believe that we are really defying God that our society and the way we live they really think they're right and one of the commentators on Chris Matthew's show this morning made an interesting comment he said some of these individual uh, young men usually or young men maybe some women too that take this upon themselves even don't mind killing a few as long as they get the attention, boy no, they didn't. There was, there was a comment about, well, in, like in Syria and some of these places where 30 and 40 people are killed, three people were killed in America, but they know how much attention they are bringing to this, and even boasted about killing the policeman when they hijacked that SUV. Yeah. I, I think that that's an important factor in their minds, and they think that they're getting attention to the fact that we, they, you know, believe that we are defying God in their mind, right.
0: Yes, so, but I don't think it's terribly important to us. I think that as spiritual practitioners, I think you know it can be useful to have theories about the psychology of people who are doing uh, negative things. You know, like the mechanism, but the root mechanism is delusion, and that's the important thing here. the 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 bottom of of, of the story is that they feel separate, and they're suffering. Right, and if we can realize that that is the common denominator, that is what makes us all humanity. Otherwise, we're going to be like, well, you know, the jihadists over here, and you know, here's the American society over here, and or you know, you might have a different story. It's like, you know, here's the shadow government that's pulling the strings, you know, that's uh, using the black ops to convince these kids to do these kinds of things. I mean, there's a lot of explanations, and all of them are, you know, rational in some sense, but but. The, the bottom line is that the, everybody who's doing these evil things is suffering. And the people who are, you know, being inflicted upon, innocent victims, they're suffering. And, and the root of the suffering is this attachment, this belief in a separate self. So, you know... Don't get so tied up into the story, you know. Turn off the news and just sit with the feelings. Sit with the feelings. I, I should try to do that. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, I've been
4: contemplating a lot what Joel talked about the last Sunday we were here two weeks ago about decisions. And I just want to put forth the idea that, you know, these guys didn't really make the decision. That all You know, fundamentally, this is just something that happened. It just happened, you know, in whatever way, and the reasons are all just the activity of the mind. And people are suffering. And in another way, those people who were injured and the ones who were killed and their families who were closest, they were like a sacrifice. Because look at the intense increase in compassion that it brought about, even worldwide. It was like a way of, the, you know, the, the compassion rushes forth when something like this happens. And I, I just see it as kind of a, I don't know, it's like the tide. It's, you know, the, I, I'm not, not expressing this very well. Um, but ultimately, they didn't even do it. It's something that just happened.
0: Well, they aren't there to do it. Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, ultimately, I mean, that's what we say there's no doer, you know, That that's what it means. It means that the action arises, action comes through these, you know, these body minds, you know. It, but yeah, you can't find a doer in there. And so it's the same goes for them. You're right, it's causes and conditions yeah, and so forth.
4: And I'm sure that kid in the hospital, the younger one, that he's probably laying there thinking, or if he is even conscious, thinking, how did this happen? <laughs> yes, and I'm sure... He to be perpetrator. Right,
0: and I'm sure that that those thoughts have occurred to many people in prisons all over the world, you know. <laughs> how did I get here? Yeah, I,
4: I, I just watched this movie yesterday, which honestly I probably would never watch, but my goddaughter had just bought it, and she said, oh, you need to see this movie. It was at about 9-11, extremely loud and incredibly close really one of the best movies I've ever seen. And it was all about what comes out of the the suffering, the the intense um, increase in people's connection, Uh you know, in a way that it it looks like something so terrible, it brings everybody together, and there's this enormous outpouring of love and and caring and connection. It, it It was just, it was amazing. And I... I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking of it in connection with, you know, that this thing had just happened in Boston. It was really just like in the moment. She's like, oh, I just bought this movie. You should see it. Uh-huh. And so I just, I went home and watched it. And I, I never wanted to see that movie. And I don't even know. It was just because, you know, I adore her and I really um, have a lot of respect for her. And I was really glad that I <laughs> thought. And then, you know, and then I saw the connection with what had just happened. Uh-huh. It's like the the increase in or the, the awareness of the compassion that comes out of these actions
0: is phenomenal. And and we don't have to wait for something horrible to happen, you know, in the news too. We can we can meditate on the suffering of the world. The this is one of the things that they do in uh, Tibetan Buddhism is you know med- meditating on impermanence, you know, and and how you know this human body you know, might not come along again, you know, and it's going to decay and everybody I know I'm going to be separated from and just just things we know that we just don't usually think about and and to really get in touch with the inherent unsatisfactoriness of that condition, of this condition that we find ourselves in, you know, as long as we identify with this separate existence, it's, it's, it's not, you know, there's something missing, you know, there's something missing. And so, that's why I would say that these events that happen in the world take them to go to the feeling. And and, and that feeling, you can find that even if there isn't something horrible going on. Follow it. Follow it. Because there's wisdom there. It's, it's the suffering that is propelling you into this abyss, forward to looking at the unknown. All right. You don't if you continue to um, distract yourself, then you won't notice what it is that you're missing. You won't notice.
1: <clears throat> well, what I'm wondering is what actually exists without language. Because we we live on the edge of our experience. So When a thing happens, seems to happen, then we decide through our language what happened and how it affects us and whether we're going to be compassionate or not.
0: Right. Yes. So that's a good question. I can't answer it in language.
1: (laughs) Am I asking a question? I don't
0: know. I don't either. Well, you said you wonder. So it's a, it's a good thing to wonder about. Yeah. And I wish I could tell you.
1: I, I don't want you to tell me. <laughs> I, know. I know. I'm wondering about it when I start thinking. And when I forget that the only place I live is right on the edge of my experience. Because everything else is just going to be this, everything's gone.
0: I mean, we talk about that all the time. It's gone now, it's gone, that's gone. Right. So, this is something for you to, you know, investigate. Because it is possible to to, to live essentially not on the edge, but to plunge into your experience, and 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 behind and you could say even behind your experience, and to recognize that experience is arising within you. You know, it's it's You know, we, we separate ourselves, so we have these senses, the five senses, and we identify with the experiencer of, and then there's the object, so I see a chair, right? So I'm over here, and there's the chair over there, and then there's the seeing of the chair. So there's three things there. What the mystics say is that those three things are just one thing. There's no, there's no seer, there's no chair, there's just the seeing. So that's called the collapse of distinction, of duality, the collapse of subject-object. Subject and object are are recognized to be one. And that's, that's what we're pointing at here, that's what we always keep talking about. That's why we need to raise the big bucks, so we can keep talking about that. (laughs) So, so, so the, that's why we do practices. And, and, you know, when we do our, our meditation, especially once we get into what we call choiceless awareness, where we're allowing all of the senses to just be present in awareness, and we just sit with that, and we watch our thoughts come up. Oh, there's a thought, and then we watch it go back. And we, we uh, gradually, we get glimpses of this ground, which is not a thing. It's not a no thing. It's not anything that can be named, but it never changes, and it's always here, and it's what everything's arising out of. We call it the stillness. We call it awareness, consciousness. True self. The ground, the natural state. These are all pointers, right? But we want to, to taste it for ourselves, not just have it be a concept. We want to actually immerse ourselves in it, become remerged in the source. We're there when we're in deep sleep, right? But we're just not aware of it. And then we wake up, and then we're back in our head. So the heart, the compassion, is what's bringing us back there. It takes that's the movement back, because we have to include all beings. There's no, you know, oh well, there's only seeing with the chair. But when I look at Catherine, well, there's another person over there, right? The truth is that the awareness here is is one awareness. It's different forms. You know, pure appears different forms as the appearance. It's like a dream. You know, I'm in a room with a bunch of dream characters and they're all, you know, expecting me to say something interesting. And, <laughs> right? But really, it's the self. The self is dreaming the whole thing. You know? And why? Because it's fun. I mean... And there's a veiling and an unveiling. There's the an ignorance and, uh, and the delusion comes in and there's all this suffering and then gradually it's unveiled again. And you see, you know, there was never a problem. Sarah, you had your hand up before Christy. I was...
5: I'm
0: going
5: to hold on to it. Okay. Christy. Well, where I get stuck... You know, <laughs> I mean, I just heard all that you said, and I agree with you. But...
6: Uh-oh.
1: but <laughs> what happens for
5: me is... Um, is that I, you know, I have compassion for what happened in Boston, and, and, and I feel for everybody. And, you know, I really think that that sending and taking helps, you know, doing that practice. Um... And yet, where my confusion and stuckness comes in is is why isn't there that outpouring like Linda was talking about? You know, for what's going on in the rest of the world with people getting bombed, and you know, why why do I don't know? We as Americans, it seems so kind of situational, you know, and, and it's all about us and. You know, our, we're going to have all this outpouring because, you know, we're Americans, and, you know, and so all this attention should go to us. And why isn't the attention going to, you know, other places where this kind of tragedy is happening? And so that's where I'm stuck. I get confused. I get frustrated.
0: Well, ask yourself, I mean, okay, first I'm going to give you a a socio-political answer. If we had an expose on a family in Syria that was affected by the bombing and every single news channel was broadcasting 24-7 about what happened in this one district in Syria and this was the first, then there would be, probably. Right? So I think the question, if you're really curious about, Look like the mechanisms of how these things work, which I don't think is the point here. I keep trying to get people to feel their own experience. You know, ask why is it that the that the people who own the news companies are focusing on this? You know, that but that's just an analysis. You know, that doesn't get anywhere. You know, you can go like that forever and still be a bitter, cynical old uh, socialist. So,
4: <laughs>
0: the the point is that you know, compassion is. What is taking us towards our true nature? So, if you feel that, if you think that, you know, gosh, why don't these other Americans have compassion for other beings? Well, have compassion for them if they don't have compassion for the Syrians.
5: Amen.
0: Right? I mean, it's their hearts that are closed down to the rest of the world that only identify with the national issue or only when they're exposed to something twenty-four-seven on the TV. We all have the opportunity to cultivate universal compassion. That's, that's this bodhicitta. That's what we want to cultivate. Right? So it doesn't matter, I mean, that, you know, who it is, the perpetrator, the victim, the, you know, confused fellow citizen, you know, whatever. I mean, and, and the reality is we don't know the, anything. You know, we can have these diagrams in our head that describe power relationships and how, you know, and you know, you could subscribe to a very conventional one that you're given by the mainstream media, or you can have your own version, or you can listen to Infowars.com and have that version. You know what I mean? Hey, there's a lot available, but they're all maps. They're all, they're not the territory, and the reality is we don't know anything. <coughs> yes, sir.
3: I, people mentioned uh, movies here. I'll recommend a movie that relates to this. Uh, Rashomon.
0: Rashomon, uh, yes. Old
3: black and
4: white...
0: Rashomon.
4: What?
1: Rashomon. yes.
0: <laughs> 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 it's an old black and white Japanese
3: movie. Subtitles. I'm warning you this because, you know, some people that's not not taste it. By our taste, it moves pretty slowly, but it's the story of three people's point of view of the same situation, and how totally they're different. They they run the same thing over, and they tell from this person's point of view, and then this person's point of view, and this person's point of view, and everybody is the star of their point of view, and everybody else is a villain, and everybody else is a point of view. It's a fabulous uh, fabulous exercise Illustrating
0: this. Yeah, I agree. I I love that movie. It's one of Akira Kurosawa's uh, films. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, thanks, Joel. That's a good. There's homework for you. (laughs) So we've got about seven minutes. Time for two more, maybe? Or we can just meditate. Do our sending and taking. So there's no, there's no, really, there's no barrier. You know, our minds come in; they want to create the world out there and the self in here. But there's no barrier. Where is the barrier? Can you, can you see? I mean, can you actually? Okay, is it here? But what about if I cut this part off? You know, then would it be here? You know, I mean, where is it? Yes. Like.
3: Would it be helpful to just avoid all these kind of controversies in your mind and just, and just realize that there's no difference and it's all one? Uh, doesn't, doesn't thinking about it and debating it with yourself or with other people or watching the TV, doesn't that all uh,
0: promote the wrong way of thinking about things? I I think um well first of all I would say it's a it's a heck of a lot easier to just realize it's all one and and you know and then respond to the situation that you're in but you know on on the path it can be useful you know as people have said like to be exposed to suffering and to see it to go oh, wow you know To be in a situation where you really see it, like the Buddha, you know, when he first went out, finally he snuck out of the castle and he, you know, he saw the, he'd been sequestered, probably most people have heard the story, he was sequestered by his father, the king, because the fortune teller said that he'd either be a great spiritual leader or a great uh, temporal leader. And his father wanted a successor, so he kept him, you know, in the castle, right? He kept him entertained with all of the, uh, you know, all the dancing girls and the entertain, you know, <clears throat> variety of distractions, worldly distractions. Finally, he snuck out and he saw, what, as an, uh, an old person, a sick person, and a corpse, something like that. And he's oh my god, what's going on? What's that? You know, it's a dead person. You know, the, the guy who's taking him out. Like, We're all going to die someday. No way. And then finally, he saw like a, a meditating, uh, Renunciate, so not, you know, a monk who seemed to be, you know, transcended at all. So. So, in order to propel ourselves forward, it can be useful, but you're right. To just stay in our head is not. To just be like, well, they're doing it for this reason, they're doing it for that reason, and just to watch the news and think and think and think about it, not very useful. So, see the suffering and then feel it and then, Do your practice. Do your practice. Is that? Yeah. Yes, somewhere over there. Yes. I was
1: going to say that's a little tricky, though, because then you can, you know, now now you're going to put up another thing. Okay, I'm right for thinking about it this way and... They're wrong for thinking about it that way. I mean, it's so tricky. Your mind just gets right back in there and, and creates the same thing all over right. So That's Right. Uh, if you keep coming back, though, like you said, and keep looking
0: at what's going on in here, yeah. um, well, it, it's just tricky. It, it is. It, yeah, the ego... I heard Adi Ashanti on an interview said, the ego has tendrils everywhere. <laughs> right? So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it'll... Talk about tricky. I mean, you know, talk about being deluded. You know, it's... The mind is the master. The master web weaver. So... That's why we do our meditation practice. So that we strengthen our power of attention. So that we can see the mind in action. And then once you see it, it's just thought. And there might be emotion too. But if you can let the thought go, you can go right to your actual experience. You don't have to keep creating worlds. So... Hiromi. So, we
7: came back from the spring retreat and then just, thought, why are people talking about Austin, And then we find out what's going on. So, it kind of felt like, wow, we, we sort of missed. But at the same time, it's... For me, it, it was helpful to go through the retreat. So, I saw my mind going through. I would have going through if I weren't saying a lot <laughs> and see my thoughts. Um, then of course my mind, creeped. well, so I handled the Boston situation a lot better, but um, I discovered last night um, the patient I, I do hospice one year, and the patient I see passed away. And um, it's called hospice, so I'm, I'm aware of her fatality, physical fatality, but it was still a shock, and, um, I couldn't go, normally go see her on Thursday, and I, I couldn't go, and so I went in Thursday, um, Friday, and, um, she, she's very active person, and, um, normally she's getting ready to go through the variety of activities per day, and she was in bed. Um, So I was surprised, and she said she's very tired, she wanted to stay in there. Um, So I said, okay, well, I would like you to get some rest, and I will come back next week. And So I called the informed nurse and um, hospice team, and then I went home thinking, oh, this might be the process of vigil that I'm going to do soon. So I was getting myself sort of gearing towards that. But then um, in my phone there was a message um, last night, and so I, I called immediately back thinking, oh, I might have to go to the vigil um, that last 24 hours to 48 hours of active dying part. And so... I, I was, okay, so I'm going to put my pack together and go do that. And then, but I discovered that she passed away um, early on Saturday morning. And I, I had a hard time just like thinking... Oh, I couldn't go back. I should have gone back, like, when she was resting to see, make sure that I could just see her again before. And all those thoughts just keep coming, and I had a hard time just keeping it, just seeing as what it is. And when I talked to the hospice team, she, I was informed that she went through the major... Um, kind of reconciliation of her past event uh, the week before. Um, I actually the one before visit I saw her she was she was in tears and I hold her hand and sit and listen to her regret and everything and so after I was described um, by the hospice team that I felt I felt happy for her that she 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 was able to resolve her um, whatever unsolved um, issues, and then she felt relieved and just was able to go. But I was just surprised even in this in this. That I just had a hard time, just like saying, "Oh, I could have done this, I could have done that," and just my mind keep going about what I could have done me. I don't know. I guess now I don't know what was my. Goal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. We don't. We don't. We don't have the ability to go back and change. What we did, you know, and so to see that really directly can be very empowering. Then you realize that all you have to do is to learn from what you've done and to to you know choose as as, as it seems to be the choice what to do right now, you know, and that's where the freedom is. Is this moment is absolutely you know infinite possibility, you know. We don't know what's going to happen but but it's right now you know and so if we're stuck in the past or we're stuck thinking about the future then we're missing that we're missing that and we can't change what happened in boston right but we can we can we can pay attention to how we feel right now how how what is it making us feel right now how can we open ourselves up how can we expand our our sense of identity Okay. Until we meet again, peace to all.